the key part in tree planting projects is what happens to the trees in 20 and 30 years from now, because that's when they'll start fulfilling their environmental potential. This is The Butterfly Effect, a podcast that shows the big impact a small action can do. Tali Orat is talking to those special people that make a difference with nature and trees. Welcome everyone to The Butterfly Effect. My name is Tali Orad. I'm your host and your butterfly here. My special guest today is Daniel Katz. Daniel received his bachelor's degree in history and classical studies, following which he took a sharp turn into the sustainability and environmental field, where he has been immersed for the past eight years. He first made his first way into ecological work when during his academic study, he was called to build a community garden in his old neighborhood in Tel Aviv. Since the spark ignited, he has been giving lectures and workshops to organizations and municipalities on climate change and sustainability. He also designed and built an ecological community farm, directed an edu- the educational department for Hava and Adam, which is Adam and Eve Educational Eco Farm, and is currently a project manager at the environmental nonprofit Good Energy Initiative. After managing several projects in the field of waste treatment, he began creating and running the Climate Forest Project, an urban afforestation project focusing on tree planting in neglected public spaces. Welcome, Daniel, to The Butterfly Effect. Thank you so much, Tali. It's a pleasure being here. Let's start with, with the beginning. How does a history major become an environmentalist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love that question. As you said, during my studies, I had this scholarship from the municipality of Tel Aviv, calling students that live in the southern neighborhoods of the city to do some community work and get funding for their tuition. Mm-hmm. I had an option of choosing between several different community work. And one of the options was starting a community garden. And I had no idea what community meant or what a garden <laughs> meant, but I figured that sounds nice. Let's give it a try. So we ended up being three students that we didn't know each other, but it turns out that we were neighbors. And we had to sit down and start to figure out what is a community garden. And we sat down and we read articles and we spoke to other people and we got in touch with uh, the community garden coordinator of the municipality of Tel Aviv. And we started gathering information. And very soon we started realizing that the hard part about a community garden is is not the garden. <laughs> it's getting a community around it. And we started working on it. And it was um, an intense, magnificent p- process in which uh, I was exposed for the first time to soil and working with plants and working with people and seeing how soil and plants affect people and children specifically. And it just drew me to this field to the point that I realized oh, so this is what I want to do with my life. Great. So tell me, what, what's a community garden now that you know? Apparently, a community garden can be a lot of things. There are many different types of models to creating and building and maintaining a community garden. But basically, it's a small piece of land 
within the urban environment, within the city or town or village that gathers people from the vicinity of the plot of land. And they come together and they work the land, so to speak. It can be growing uh, vegetables for consumption. Uh, it can be growing vegetables for fun. It can be maintaining the trees. It can be uh, just having, you know, a shaded place in the middle of the city surrounded by <laughs> green leaves and plants of just a place for relaxation and gathering. It, it really depends on the community uh, itself. And this is why the community is such a key part of it, because a garden can't be without a community to, to keep it alive. And it's, it's the most difficult part, as I said, but it's also the most interesting, intriguing part. Right. So, so you would say that the biggest obstacle in a community garden is actually the community. Absolutely. It's, it's finding a group of people that didn't know the other existed before that have this shared common ground of working with soil and plants. And it's not an easy task because I remember, for example, from our experience that we did several things trying to locate these people that would care and would want to build a community garden with us, starting mm -hmm. from hanging flyers. And I remember the very first gathering that we were able to actually have of the, this community. I think 10 people came to one of our houses mm -hmm. and we were so excited that someone came. <laughs> it was just... It's just, wow, we found someone else that wants to they want to share this dream with us. And the neighborhood where I lived has a very diverse community. So there are very religious Jewish people, for example, and migrant workers and asylum seekers and refugees and this kind of student gentrification generation that was started pouring into the neighborhood and all of these different communities have different needs and wants and mm -hmm. creating something common between these communities was the real the real work right and it sounds like a melting pot in a way for for that did you notice anything that happened afterwards when you finished the the project communities stayed together they were more connected they continue doing it what happened I'm, I'm super excited to say that even though I left that community garden five years ago, I would say, the community garden mm -hmm. itself is still running and people are still gathering every Friday for working hours, which, you, which is between nine o'clock and 2 p.m. on a Friday. And the community itself changes. People come and people go and there's usually a, a core nucleus of people that come and maintain and hold the enthusiasm of the of the whole thing but that's one of the beauties of the community garden that it's dynamic it changes it has its waves of ups and downs and more people arriving and there are events and things are happening and it's exciting and then there's a kind of a <laughs> a more uh, sleepy time <laughs> for the community right. garden and nothing much is happening but it it keeps changing all the time and it brings together these different types of communities as well. So it's still happening and it's, it's great that this place is still alive and kicking. What, what did you take away from it? Oh, um, well, first I took, a, I took from it the fact that, like I said, this is what I want to do in life. 
before the community garden, I was working in online marketing. Uh, it was kind of a student job. I didn't really know what I wanted to do professionally. Mm-hmm. It was a pivotal moment for me, the, the mm-hmm. realization that I don't know exactly what I want to do with this, but this is the direction that I'm heading. This is my passion. So yeah, so it, it gave me the sense of working with plants and understanding soil. So I started learning and going to workshops and I quit my job as an as a marketer and I started become I became a gardener. And I was I was lucky enough to become an apprentice of this wonderful man, Nisim, which I will never forget. And I, I came as as an employee for him, as a worker, and I just kept bombarding him with questions on every single things that we did in the gardens that we took care of why did you plant this and why not there and how much time did you water it and why did you do this and why did you do that and just all the time because i was (laughs) thirsty for this type of knowledge and um yeah it kind of gave me this sense of direction right and okay so the direction is good energy uh initiative Let's talk a little bit about that. Can you tell us what the organization is doing? So the Good Energy Initiative is a, an environmental nonprofit organization. And what we do basically is that we, we plan, design, and implement a very large uh, variety of projects that mm-hmm. all have the shared goal of reducing or sequestering uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So we do this by, for example, uh, in the field of renewable energies, what we do is that we subsidize the, the creating of photovoltaic uh, solar systems on mm-hmm. top of public uh, institutions and public uh, rooftops all across the country. And for example, in regenerative agriculture, we subsidize farmers in, all across Israel to change their farming practices into regenerative uh, agriculture in order to sequester carbon and keep the carbon in the ground. And Mm -hmm. we also do it by uh, waste treatment. So we encourage and we advise uh, businesses and corporations on how to better deal with their different waste streams Mm -hmm. and give it another life. Uh, We did a, a while ago this national project called Industrial Symbiosis which was designed to implement circular economy in Israel. So Mm -hmm. we had this privilege of working with so many different types of businesses and corporations and factories all across Israel that produce these different types of waste and kind of trying to connect the dots and see what kind of waste can go as raw material to what kind of other plant or company. And this was Mm -hmm. kind of a a puzzle work that was really interesting for us. Projects for us just keep coming and going. Some projects, for example, one of the earliest projects that I did in the organization was neighborhood composting piles. So in the villages around where our our organization is located, which is in the Elav Valley in uh, central Israel. So we went around and we built composting stations Mm-hmm. all across the village and we had to kind of enlist the community to use them and show them how and get them excited about it show them the benefits of composting and not throwing away your organic waste to get to landfills all these different types of projects like i said they they come and go 
for the past two years, we've had uh, the Climate Force, which is kind of a, a next generation to an early planting project of ours. So what is that Climate Forest? So the Climate Forest is kind of an upgraded version of an old tree planting project that we had in the Good Energy Initiative. Uh, mm-hmm. The old project was called Etzichad, which means one tree, speaking about the, the, all the benefits that a single tree can give us. And the focus of the early project was going into educational institutions and taking uh, small saplings and transplanting them into larger pots with children, uh, with students of all ages, and putting down irrigation systems, letting the trees grow and get stronger and bigger, Mm -hmm. and then kind of releasing them into the wild and giving them away to the municipalities or the the children themselves to be planted wherever. And the climate forest is, I would say, we we had a chance to kind of rethink this whole project. And as an environmental organization, what do we want to do with trees? And we realized that the key part in tree planting projects is what happens to the trees in 20 and 30 years from now, because that's when they'll start fulfilling their environmental potential. So this is this is the climate forest. It's our way of making sure that we're planting as many trees as possible, where they matter the most, closest to as many people as possible, in the most ecological and responsible way. Is that in an urban area or is it everywhere? Our project focuses only on urban areas because we realized when at the begin at the early stages of the project kind of thinking about what do we want to do and where is the right place to plant trees in israel because israel is a relatively very small country not a lot of open spaces and the open spaces that we do have across the country the forests and the national parks are maintained by very large governmental organizations uh, such as the JNF, for example, the Jewish National Fund, and uh, and mm-hmm. some others, and we realized that we have this untapped potential of of land that is crucial in terms of the benefits that trees can do there that no one touches, which is inside the urban environment, and these are open public spaces that are left neglected, overlooked, usually. Over time, they get filled with waste and they become completely inaccessible to the public. And after doing some research, we realized that all these small pieces of land, because each one of them isn't large, it's maybe half an acre, maybe two thirds of an acre. That's usually the, the, uh, the type of uh, plots that we deal with. It adds up to a lot of land, which can hold a lot of trees. So you basically, you identified an opportunity and just for me, it feels like throughout your career, you brought a community into place, whether it was compost gardens and now with trees, right? And and you brought it into the city where the community lives and beautified in their perspective, but in your perspective, you made it more ecological. So what are some of the benefits to the people that lives around it? Well, trees have so many benefits on their own, 
just in, in nature, obviously, but when you, when you plant them uh, in the urban environment, all of their benefits are magnified and intensified because it's not only the carbon sequestration and it's not only production of oxygen, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously very important for us. Basic. Um, <laughs> very basic. But also it's the reducing of noises, for example that within the urban environment, we have all this traffic and electricity and Mm -hmm. all these different types of um, noises that affect us and affect residents, uh, affect mental health, actually. There have been researches that shown that all these different types of noises actually reduce mental health uh, within cities. Mental health issues, you mean? Mental health issues, yes. And for another example is air pollution filtration. So... Again, mostly because of traffic, there are so many air pollutants in the urban environments and trees can reduce the amounts of these pollutants and shade and cooling temperature. There's a phenomenon called the urban heat island effect, Mm -hmm. which is because of the surface of the urban environment, which is mostly concrete and glass and metal, which hold energy, which hold heat, The, the actual temperature of the city can increase by up to 10 degrees Celsius than uh, outside of the city. So trees can help negate that effect. And they do that very, (laughs) very effectively. Actually, there have been, I'm now a part of this uh, group that studied this kind of phenomenon. And there are studies that show that shade that is being produced by artificial elements is not as effective as shade that is produced by trees. Interesting. So another great environment, not just to put shade nets all over the cities, but actually plant more trees. So let's talk numbers. So how does urban forest affect the city microclimate? Shade by trees actually make the city more walkable and it increases a term called walkability. So it enables more pedestrian Uh, movement in the city Mm -hmm. and more cyclists and not necessarily using transportation such as private cars or even public transportation, but uh, using a more uh, energy effective type of uh, mode of transportation. And this reduces the use of electricity, for example, and the use of Mm -hmm. fossil fuels. These in turn also reduce the temperature of the city and trees also shade buildings which kind of give this another layer of insulation. So they don't have to use that much electricity on heating or cooling in the Mm -hmm. winter or summer. And it's just, the benefits are just, there's so many of them. And they they affect everyone who lives in the city, even if you're not living next to the trees that were planted. What is the difference between your urban forest and just, I don't know, regular park that exists in a playground or just a tree that exists in, in a city? Basically, there isn't. Okay. <laughs> the thing is that the climate forest was created in order to kind of step in where in a, I would say, a, a functioning way of, uh, way of working, these plots of land would have been turned into parks and gardens for the public by the municipality. But in reality, they they just don't. 
because every single municipality or city or town or village in Israel has these plots of land that are at the bottom of the priority list that right. just... Basically, it's an opportunity to take those plots and improve them. So what's the situation of... We understand that at the beginning, those plots are basically either bare or filled with trash. So what do you do? Do you... Is it volunteers that go there? Do you bring the community involved? How do you bring it to the next level? How do you create the forest in it? We created this kind of network of cooperations in order to facilitate our work and this project. So we have this cooperation, first and foremost, with the public sector, which is the municipality itself. Nowadays, the municipalities actually approach us because the project got to a state where it's wide known and uh, cities all across Israel kind of address us and they want us to come and plant in their plots of land that they don't take care of. So it's a cooperation with the municipality that makes sure that they have a responsibility for this plot of land as well. We, we had a version of this project where we came to municipalities and we said, hey, this is all that we can do for you. Do you want it? And they said, yes, of course. And then they took all the resources that we wanted to give them and did nothing with it afterwards. Okay. And we realized that this kind of work is, isn't sustainable. So we made sure that municipalities had to put their share of resources into the project, which is not monetary, but it's in terms of preparing the land, mm-hmm. removing waste and straightening the, the land, digging the holes and making sure that there's a, a point of access for water, for irrigation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the most crucial element of the cooperation with the municipality is probably the maintenance, because we make sure that every single plot that we plant is maintained by the municipality's uh, gardening department. So this gives us this kind of, it's not only you put a, a tree in the ground, then you wish it luck and you move on to the next one, but we make sure that these trees are given everything that they need in order to reach a long life. Okay. The two other aspects of the project are, first of all, the secondly, the private sector, which mm-hmm. Uh, mostly funds the project, but not only in donations, but also in in in-kind donations. For example, we were able to get sponsorship from one of Israel's largest irrigation equipment companies, Metafim, Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. kind of saw this project and saw the type of work that we were doing and said, you know what, we're on board, you're getting all the uh, irrigation equipment that you need for your project, which is... Yeah, um, I would really, say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this was huge for us. And last but of course not least is the community itself, which takes part in this project by uh, showing up to the planting day and helping us plant the trees themselves. But also it's by being our eyes and ears in the field and in the plots uh, every single day. So we get phone calls and emails from residents that live next to their plots and saying, listen, there's a tractor coming into the plot and destroying the trees. Did you know? And we said, no, call the city gardener immediately. And this kind of immediate response that is needed in order to preserve trees in the urban environment, because it's not a given that they will succeed to live there and, and survive. And the community being involved is a key element for the success of the project. 
Okay, so they are there for the planting day and they are your eyes and ears. And is it always like that if you'll get those calls or do you have communities that are not so involved? We, we do. Um, as I said, with the community gardens, you get different types of communities. And some of them are, are super involved and keen and are ready and send us videos every other week of the trees that are growing. And some are not. And what we do in the project, uh, a part of the way that we keep uh, developing the project is not only by growing, which means planting more trees, but mm -hmm. also, also making sure that the infrastructure of the project keeps growing as well. And this means that we keep thinking up of new ways of interacting with the community and preserving their involvement in the, land, in the plots. Uh, so for example, I can say that we are, so we're currently working on this plan that at the end of each year, we will be selecting two municipalities that excelled in both municipality communication, community involvement, and interaction with us in the organization. And they will get from us another planting event in the plot that was already planted. So planting more trees, planting shrubs, spreading wildflowers, and making sure that the momentum is kept. What is the biggest obstacle? The biggest obstacle is the municipalities. This type of work is, is a type of work that should have been done without us. There would be no one happier than me if the climate forest was no longer needed. And mm -hmm. all the neglected uh, public spaces in Israel would have been filled with trees by the work of the municipalities and their gardeners and involving the community. But it, it, it just doesn't happen. And the reason that it doesn't happen is because municipalities in Israel uh, lack manpower or lack funding and things get left behind. And unfortunately, it comes... Uh, it comes to trees eventually that are not at the top of the priority list. So no one, no one plants any more trees. What would you advise others that just listened and, and were inspired and say, you know what, I'm doing it in my town. What are your tips? Bottoms up actions such as just deciding to plant a tree not taking into consideration the municipality or the uh, who pays the water bill or how do you get yeah. fundings involved just going out and planting a tree in the soil creates the necessary momentum to to make this happen you don't have to wait uh, you yeah. say this uh, in your uh, in your podcast that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago and the second best time is today so yeah. This is what people need to do. Just go out there and plant trees where they see an empty plot of land. You're in Israel right now. And something that I know this year has happened, and this is something that is called Shemitah, which is on the seventh year, we give the land a break. We do not work it. We do not plant. And I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about it and... And maybe share with our audience, what is it that you're doing in that aspect and how do you feel about it? Absolutely. And, and thank you for this question, because it's, it's, a very, uh, it's a very important topic that's been constantly on our minds for the past year. So yes, since October 2021, uh, Shemitah started. And during Shemitah, as you said, it is not allowed to work the land. It's 
the ecological principle is to give the land a break because you plow it every year and you seed it every year and you take and you take and you take. So on the seventh year, on the sabbatical, you give the land a break and you just let it be, you let it heal. And the, I would say upfront that we do not uphold this principle, um, <laughs> strictly speaking, uh, but we do it, uh, ideologically because mm -hmm. You need to give the land a break, which is true in agricultural land, because when you take and you take and you take the, the soil and we see this everywhere across the world, soil loses its topsoil, the top 10 to 15 centimeters that hold 90% of the soil fertility. And it mm -hmm. keeps decreasing over time because of ag agricultural practices. Now, the difference between the type of work that we do and what I just mentioned is that in the climate forest, we actually tried to give piece of land life and fertility for the first time in a very long time, because you have to understand that the, the types of plots that we get to in these municipalities, as I said, bottom of the priority list are yeah. condensed, compact soil, mostly usually filled with landfilled uh, debris and uh, human just garbage actual garbage and weeds and completely inaccessible and it's just basically lifeless so you bring it life exactly we, we build this kind of very resource intensive type of tree planting that also holds nutrients and compost and mycorrhizal uh, fungi and irrigation system the moisture which is key element to bringing soil back to life including, of course, organic material in the form of trees, actually starts doing some ecological rehabilitation work for these plots of land. So we do plant trees uh, during Shemitah, which is by the book is forbidden. But the way that I see it and the way that I talk about it with municipalities and with communities, which and it, this topic does rise as a concern, it usually lets people understand that what we're doing is important. And of course, if you take everything that I've just said and you put it in the context of the current uh, climate crisis that we're in, then you know that we can't stop planting trees, not even for a second. So this is our take on, uh, on Shemitah. I, I actually very much appreciate what you just said because so we do, we work the land seven years and, and then we give it a break for a year. It seems like the plots that you were taking had a break for seven years. Now it's time to give them back life. So I'm all up for it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel, what's your favorite tree? I would have to say mulberry. There's something about this tree that just captivates me. You know, it's, it's a tree that when it reaches its full potential, it's, it's a huge tree, first of all. It's not a tree that you can uh, overlook. And it has this tree form, you know? I, I can't really describe it, but it's kind of the way that the mind categorizes objects that you know, oh, okay, I see this from a distance. I guess, it, yeah, it's probably a tree. This is a tree for me. The way that a mulberry looks with its huge trunk and branches and the leaves are big. And of course, the incredible fruit and the fruit varieties on the different varieties of mulberry 
So even though it's not an endemic variety or species of tree uh, in Israel, which mm -hmm. I would prefer, and this is, for example, what we plant in the climate forest, we only plant uh, endemic trees. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, for me, mulberry. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing your love to trees, your love to nature, and your love to community engagement. Truly appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for joining me today. We are all beautiful butterflies, each in his and her individual ways. I wanted to thank you for joining me today in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me, and I hope you can join me next time. And remember, it only takes a small action to make a big difference. Be a butterfly. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to hear more of our stories of change 